I had uh, forgot to read the scripture reading before, uh, in the, prior to the worship time there, so I'd like to read it now. It's out of Ephesians chapter 4, starting with the 17th verse. Ephesians 4, verse 17. Paul writing says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth as is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor during honest work uh, with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. As you go through a scripture like that, what you see is, is the reality of a transition, a transformation that goes on. This is the way we were, and, and this is what God is doing in us. And the idea is, is that this transformation starts to not only clear up things between us and God this way, to the fact that we can stand before the throne of God with the confidence of our salvation, knowing we've been redeemed and have that peace uh, of mind that knows that we are at peace with God, but also that it starts to transform this way. The way we interact with each other in the body of Christ and even outside the body of Christ with our neighbors, with our co-workers, and sometimes with the strangers that we meet uh, in, the, in the pathways of, of, of our goings and comings. So, the Beatitudes is, is where we are actually looking at in, in Matthew chapter 5. And the Beatitudes is, is, again, this idea of instruction of what is happening to us. I read with you this morning, uh, starting with the third verse and, and reading through the seventh verse this morning. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Again, this transformation that goes on begins with the idea of being poor in spirit. Poor in spirit means to realize that we have nothing to bring to the throne of God in exchange for our salvation, in exchange for access to the kingdom of heaven. It's all on His side. He does the work. When we look at the cross, the words it is finished, somebody asked me one time, how many times are you going to repeat that in your life? And I said, as often as I can. It is finished. Because of that, I have peace with God. I have access to the throne of God in prayer. I have access to the Word of God with some understanding. Not a tremendous understanding, but some understanding. Meaning that the Holy Spirit is at work in me, helping me to read and, and put it together. And I think, uh, remember Mr. Young from Korea, and, and, and he says, how many times are you going to read the Bible? <laughs> uh, and, and I'm not going to go into the whole story with that, but the idea was is that he was saying as often as you read it, it's important because you don't always understand everything you read. But once you're a Christian and you start to read it, you start putting little pieces together. 
And all of a sudden, he'll say, uh, one day you're going to be looking at it, you're going to be reading through something in First Samuel and say, oh my goodness, that goes with Psalms. Oh, and now it goes with the book of Acts. Oh, and I saw that in Hebrews. And you realize that, that it's all one inspired, God-breathed work to proclaim and reveal who God is and to point us to Jesus Christ as Savior. And so it's, the idea is, is that you know, it's new, it's fresh, it's a living word. Why do we call it that? Not because it changes, but because we grow into it in the sense of realizing it applies to every part of our life. Not just Sunday mornings, or not just Bible studies, or not just our devotionals, but every aspect of our life ultimately comes into position as to where we see God's even interested about this. And it all starts when we realize we need a Savior. That's what it is to be poor in spirit. To realize you can't do it yourself, you need a Savior. And when we realize that we are finally poor in spirit, we need a Savior, we ask Jesus Christ to become our Savior, we confess, as Romans put it, with our mouth and believe in our heart that He is the Son of God, then it says not only blessed are the poor in spirit, but it says theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We become citizens of God's kingdom. We're no longer citizens of the earth. We are citizens of God's kingdom. And such a difference in, in the, the, what is happening there and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit so that we even begin to mourn. The, the, the fourth verse, we mourn over our sin. It, it, it grieves us that we have sin in our life. We grieved over the sin that we have committed, that we are committing, and we desire to not commit sin but realizing that when we do fail, fall short, miss the mark, we have a Savior who has told us absolutely through John in 1 John that if we will confess with our, uh, confess the, the, our sins, that He is faithful and just to restore us. And, and He will forgive us. If that can't bring humility to you, then, then there's still something missing. Poor in spirit, needing a Savior. Mourning over our sin. Realizing that there's nothing that we can do to save ourselves. We need a, a Savior. And realizing Christ has done it. So to rest in Him is where that humbleness comes in. I cannot rest in myself. And I, I always start to say, I don't know about you, but I know about me. But I actually do know about you because I know about me. Uh, in the sense that we all at times tend to see whether it's something that we do or the way we, we, you know, we can see how we've changed and somehow we're going to say, oh, we're doing so well. We're on, you know, we're on the right track. We're doing it right. And, and we get into that groove of, of, of a little bit of pride. And unfortunately, it also normally means that you've reached a little bit of a plateau. And the next thing you know, God opens through a sermon or through a Bible study, sometimes through a new song of worship, uh, and, and just sometimes simply in, as you're in prayer, God opens up a part of your life and says, oh, but what about this? And you're brought back down. You're mourning again over sin in your life, but rejoicing in the God's grace and forgiveness. And you realize, there is, I, I cannot do it without Him. I cannot do it without Him. And so we are meek, we are humble, we rest in Him. And then it brings that hunger and thirst. It starts to build that idea of, I actually want to be where His Word is preached. I want to be putting myself in places where I hear His Word taught. And you, you know, at least in my experience, you, you go from you know, never going to church Sometimes to a phase where you, 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 if the church doors are open, you're there. Uh, if somebody else's church doors open and yours aren't, you're there. You know, you, you, you go and you go and you go. And finally finding that, that level of, of, of going and seeking after, maybe you can't do it every day in somebody else's thing, but you can do it every day with a time of devotion. And you, and you begin to hunger and, and desire to know Him and to know Him better, to know Him more. Well, as that happens, something else starts to happen. 
the work of the Holy Spirit in you, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, opening your heart and your mind, you start to realize some of the character traits of God that, that you would like to be like yourself. And you start, you know, you ask God, Lord, cause me to have your eyes, to think with your thoughts, to 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 hear with your ears, and and to to look and, and when I look around to see what is needed around me for the sake of your kingdom. One of the areas, the very next beatitude that we'll be looking at, we looked last week at the hungry and thirsting after righteousness, is blessed are the merciful. And this begins with, with, with God. You know, the idea of, of, of mercy, of grace, of forgiveness, they're all, they're, they're not absolutely equal, they're not absolutely synonymous, but they're all tied together. You know, a lot of times we, and I tend to be this type of a person, I like to put, you know, separate things into columns and lists and things and say, here's grace, here's forgiveness, you know, here's uh, mercy or, or, you know, different categories of, of each of the things. And you realize that they're interwoven. They overlap. And, and, and if you're developing in one, you, you probably are also developing in another. And, and we don't turn around and say, well, mercy is my gift and this is not. We realize that all of it is what God is trying to do and work in us. We're not talking about the works of service in the sense of the gifts He gives us, but we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit in the sense of what He does in us. And we can't pick the fruit of the Spirit and say, that one's mine and that one's... <laughs> it's a concert of work in us developing the love of God in our hearts and our minds and the way we act and treat each other. So I was looking at mercy and, and, and grace, and, and both of them are a picture of God's you know, character. And I thought to understand this, uh, I, I, I need to start with you know, the, what it is that... Uh, why mercy is so important is to understand what it is that we deserve. And... I know that the obvious answer is, you know, the, the textbook answer, if you will, or the Sunday school answer is, well, we know we don't deserve anything uh, because we've sinned. But taking a look at the back of your bulletin, we've been putting the scriptures for the Roman road there for a, a period of time. And this is what you might share with someone uh, given the opportunity uh, and their willingness to listen. You might want to share with someone in the sense of, of how to share Christ with someone else, pointing out your sin and this type of thing. But this is also always good just for yourself to look at it and remind who you are. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's no room for anyone to not put them... Oh, I back that backwards. It puts everyone in the boat together. We have all sinned. There isn't anyone who has gone sinless except for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, our Savior, who Paul clearly points out became sin for us that He might save us. So we've all sinned. The wages of sin coming from uh, verse 23 of, of Romans chapter 6, the wages of sin is death. We all deserve death. And the, the answer, uh, the question that I always think of at this point, you know, is a redundant question. It's more of a rhetorical type of thing. Uh, you know, how many of you, di you know, have, have died when, when you first consciously sinned? Well, you can raise your hand in one sense. You died spiritually. But that's not all that this wages of sin is talking about. It says it's referring to physical death as well. That is also part and partial of this punishment. So I don't only die spiritually, but I'm going to die physically, but I haven't yet. Why? Mercy. God's mercy at work. Wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh, and so, and you can go on through the other Scriptures, but the idea is, is that we deserve death, but in God's mercy, He has kept death from us. 
And so, in a sense of looking at this, mercy is, is, is maybe seen this way. Mercy does not give us what we do deserve. I'll say it again. Mercy does not give us what we do deserve. We deserve death, but in God's mercy, He has not done that to us. He has not put that final judgment on us. Uh, and, and in so many other categories where God has blessed when I look back as my life as a non-believer, the first 26 years, and I can see over and over and over and over. I just could spend a week just saying that as to getting to the point of where God did not give me what I deserved. So... Mercy does not give us what we do deserve. Grace gives us what we do not deserve. Let me say it again. Grace gives us what we do not deserve. In other words, God is giving us gifts that we don't deserve instead of giving us the punishment we do deserve. We deserve this, but in His mercy He hasn't given it to us. Instead, in His grace, He's given us gifts. And I think the ultimate picture is, in mercy, He has not, and especially as we confess Christ as our Savior, He has not given us hell. In His grace, He has given us heaven. I love the picture of, of, of some of the Old Testament descriptions, like one of them is that He has cast our sin into the depths of the sea. Uh, I, I, I think of that and, and, I, and I, I put up in, in my mind a little graphic in that picture of a, like a buoy or a, something sitting along there with a little sign on it, no fishing. Because I have a tendency as all of us do, to think back over old sin that I've... And, and, and there's a little sense of the devil every now and then saying, you, is that really behind you? Or when you repeat a sin in your life as a believer that, that was something that, that, that was holding you captive as a non-believer and you stumble as a believer, Satan coming back and saying, see, he's... What he's done is he's come up with a facsimile because there's a no fishing sign on where God put it. He has no right to even bring that up. And, and the idea is to rest with confidence. God has forgotten that sin against me for judgment. It's not there. And so, uh, he casts all our sin into the depths of the sea or as far as the east is from the west. And think of that in plain geometry, east or west, if you're going one way or the other, how far before you're come back? Well, if you're in plain geometry, it means everything goes parallel. This, you know, uh, so it never comes back again. And so, he, as he does that, which is that sense of his mercy and his grace, he also justifies us as if we had never done any of that. And they're always, the mercy and the grace are always working together. And that's why I thought it was so important not to just say, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy without bringing that picture of the grace in here. But in looking at the side of it, as we, I do tend to pick it apart just a little bit this morning, looking at the mercy side of this, there's a, a pastor by the name of Ray Pritchard uh, who I've, I've found over the years online uh, through uh, monergism and a couple of other uh, teaching sites on the scripture uh, on, on, on the, new, on the uh, web, uh, and uh, uh, Ray Pritchard is, is someone that I found that uh, uh, has a way of putting things sometimes to make it easy for me to understand. And uh, uh, as he looked at the mercy side of things uh, being applied in the believer's life, he saw that he says. 
just as God sees a need, okay, now we begin to see a need. Then we are moved by this need. So we begin to develop compassion. Uh, we, we look at something and, 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 and feel, in a sense, almost like walking in their shoes, the idea. Uh, so I see a need and then I begin to, to, to relate to that need. But it, that's, that's not enough. To, to have compassion is not enough. There needs to be an action step tied to mercy. It's not just a feeling. And so when we tie it, he put it on, okay, we see the need, we are moved by this need, and then he says, we are moved by the need. We are moved by the need, meaning to do something. We take an action step. We move, well, maybe even better put it this way. We see the need, we are moved by the need, we move to meet the need. Maybe even a more complete picture. There's a couple of scriptures I was thinking of uh, that helped uh, look at this, uh, for me at least. And uh, one is found in uh, 1 John in chapter 3. John writes, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Is it wrong to love in word and in talk? No, those are part of it. But if it stops there, the transformation hasn't moved far enough yet in the, in the way you're doing things. It needs to move into action. James put it in a way that I, I, I think was pretty clear as well. Uh, James chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but has not had works? Can that faith save him? If I have a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? And that has always struck deep with me. It's, you know, somebody shares a need with you and you say, Oh, I'll pray. And it's an urgency or a sense of, of need that, that, that's there at that point. And in your pocket are the means to meet that need without, and, and, and not have, either sacrificially on your part uh, or, or possibly without even really altering your day uh, financially much. But you've you got the ability to meet the need and the need has been put in front of you and you'll say you'll pray. James is saying, that's not enough. Where's the action? And where's your faith in God's providence in covering you? God's provision, excuse me, in covering you. And so, what we're looking at is mercy is an action word. It's not just a, a, a way of thinking. It's an action. The historical setting for the time that Jesus was talking about uh, in, in reference to the idea of mercy here uh, was that a lot of the Jewish people were resting in their ethnic tie. In other words, their, their birthright, physical birth tie to the nation of Israel. As a result, calling themselves what? Children of Abraham. Or referring to Abraham as Father Abraham. And they were not the ones that wrote the song, Father Abraham had many sons. Uh, but uh, the idea is, is that, that they looked at that and they said, because we are Jewish, we're cool with God. They didn't quite say it that way. but uh, Jesus said, no, you're not. And he could, Jesus, in this case, was, was looking at him, say, in John chapter 8, he was looking at him pretty specifically. He says, the fact that you reject me tells me very clearly you don't know God. In fact, you can't call Abraham your father. You can't call God your father. Your father, whoa, this is harsh, is the devil. Jesus made it clear. If, if, if you were of God, if you were following God, you would have a heart to, to, to see me as the Son of God. If you can't see me as the Son of God, 
your relationship with, with, with God in the sense of kingdom of God, father, child of God, doesn't there. The Jews have become very legalistic and judgmental. They basically were looking at, you do this, 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 and this. A plus B plus C equals D, I'm saved. And it was all oriented towards what they could do, what they were doing, what they saw themselves as, as, as children of Abraham and, and doing specific things. That would be their salvation. And it's interesting that Jesus begins again to point out to them uh, in various places, like, for instance, Luke chapter 18, how it's, it's first and foremost has to do with the condition of heart. In verse 18, there's a, 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 a section starting with verse 9 uh, of, of the Gospel of Luke. Uh, the, the little subtitle on it from, from the uh, English version, Standard Version Bible is the Pharisee and the Tax Collector. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt, lack of mercy. Okay? Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, a tax collector in this case was, would be an ethnic Jew who was now considered like a turncoat or a traitor because he had become a tax collector. Okay, that's, this, that's what this person would be. And the Pharisee standing by himself, notice right off the bat, I can't stand anywhere close to him. He's a tax collector. He's a bad guy. Don't want to become tainted. Don't want anything to rub off on me. I can't come close to him. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off, in this case by himself because of, of, of how he sees himself as a sinner, the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The culture in which Jesus is teaching us about mercy and and, and being poor in spirit and, and meek and, and hungering and thirsting was one of a number of uh, majority of the people looking at themselves. If I am a child of Abraham physically or gene genetically, I'm okay with God. And as long as I'm doing this and I eat the right food and, and say the right prayers, everything is okay. And Jesus is saying that's not the way it works. There must be first a heart change. That's what's necessary. There needs to be a poor in spirit, a humility. And that will spill over now into how you view other people rather than judgmentally with compassion and mercy. Uh, there was another one that I... I, I uh, in, the, in the Gospel of Mark, in chapter 7, that I wanted to share with you that again points to this same idea of not showing mercy where you need to because... You've, you've set yourself aside and somehow see yourself justified uh, without having to have the compassion. And Mark chapter 7, verses 9 through 13. And this one's more personal for me. And Jesus said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles, uh, uh, reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. What he was talking about was 
they, the people, they had the resources. The man would have, let's say, had the resources to take care of his parents, which was his obligation. But because he had committed it to the ministry of God in a, in a long-term kind of indirect sort of way, he said, he used the word Corbin. My, my resources, my future, my money is Corbin. I can't use it for anything else but what I do in the sense of moving towards ministry or serving God. And as a result, I'm, I can't take care of my parents. Jesus says, wait a minute. You have a first duty that comes out of the commandments. And in fact, it's, it's out of the Ten Commandments. And the first, you know, one it says with a, with a promise that goes with it. And that is that to honor your mother and your father. And it means more than respect them. It means even to take care of them. And at a point in time in my life where I was putting ministry ahead of things, God hit me over the head multiple times with multiple people in the sense of trying to open my eyes. None of them under even, standing, even understanding what God was doing as they would share scriptures with me and things with me that I was going to have to make a decision very shortly that I didn't even know existed. And that was that my mom had a need that was going to require Kathy and, ours, Kathy and I working together to minister to her. And it meant putting everything that we had planned aside and proceeding to take care of my mom. And the scripture that God hit me over the head with finally, as I was saying, I can't, and as I knew what he was telling me to do, I said, but we can't. We're committed to this. They need me to do this. <laughs> I, I can't go. And the scripture, Corbin, just like this. The word Corbin just invaded my head. And I realized I was doing exactly what those Pharisees were saying and doing. And I was not showing the mercy and the compassion that I was obligated to show, but should have been able to see right off in the first place if I were being yielding, if I were allowing the Holy Spirit to work in me at at, at His speed, if you will. Instead, I was quenching. The mercy that we're speaking of is, is, is God's mercy first. It, it's, and and I, I say it this way because I want you to understand that it, just as it's God's love, we say God's love is, is, is the, un, uh, the, the love that, that is given without anything re- demanded in return. It's, a, it's an, an undeserved love. It's a, uh, an unconditional love. You can't offer the godly, unconditional love to anyone without first receiving that unconditional love in you. Well, you can't offer God's mercy to anyone else until you have God's love in you as well. God working in you. And that's why I believe that these are in a particular order as well as the Beatitudes go. They build on each other. One person said, just as God's love is impossible for someone to do without the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, it's impossible to have the mercy without the indwelling and the work of the Holy Spirit. And then he used a phrase, and I don't even remember who said it, but he used the phrase, it's not impossible, it's Him possible, with a capital H, I am. It's Him possible. And, I, and I've never seen I've never seen that phrase before. I wrote it down in some old notes, and I haven't got a clue who said it. So I can't take credit for it, but someone out there put it you know put it down. And I and I love the phrase "impossible." It's impossible for me, but because of Him in me, it is possible. We want to be careful that we don't turn around and say, "I'm only human. I'm only in the flesh. I'm sure to fail." Even though there is truth in that, in the sense of, of understanding that we're captured still in this fallen flesh. But if we use that as an excuse, we'll lay on our laurels or rest on our laurels and not follow through. We need to attack this with that understanding of saying, God, change my heart. Put me in a situation where I have to grow, have to use, have to apply your, your means and your purposes. And put me in a place, Lord, where I have to use your mercy and understand it better. In you, it's possible. And it's possible because 
You're in me. I'm poor in spirit. I mourn over my sin. I'm humble. I can't save myself. But as I hunger and thirst after Your Word, I realize You can work through me. And I start to see other people being used of God. And I start to see how God used people in Scripture. And, and, and I even start to see how God has used me. And it encourages me to yield all the more. The Holy Spirit indwelling the believer is working through a transforming person. <laughs> We're in the process of, but He works through us. He doesn't wait. There's not a point where you say, well, you have to wait until you're completely finished over here before you can do any work for the kingdom of God. As we are a work in progress, we are a servant in progress doing the work of God. Now, it says that we will receive mercy. Here, as, as one who gives mercy, we will receive mercy. And... The question that that's put forward is if 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 you don't have mercy, are you saved? I gotta be careful how I answer this. Because I believe that these standards that God has put before us are to be used by us and all people to 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 see where we are in our relationship with God. It is possible that you could think you were saved and and, and not be. And, and the fact that you're not showing mercy come up and, and kind of slap you in the face and God used that to get you on your knees and, and, and come into a first-time relationship with Him. I met a man at 84 years young who had just accepted the Lord after serving in a church all of his life on the elder board and, and, and being involved. And for the first time, uh, he heard a sermon this is a true story here, even locally. Uh, Lance Anderson was the one preaching the sermon. And, and, and Lance shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, I've been in church all my life. I've been on deacon boards and elder boards and in leadership roles all my life. I've taught Sunday school and I've never understood what it meant to have the Holy Spirit in me and, and Jesus Christ as my Savior. I thought I was, but I never understood it. So I'm not going to turn around and say, uh, you know, if you don't have mercy, you're not saved. But I'm going to say, if you don't have mercy, open your eyes, seek the face of God, and make sure you are saved. But more than anything else, is, 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 as a standard to look at here, is if you have no mercy, or I, I should really put it, a little bit of mercy, then... If, well, if you only have a little, let's put it this way: if you if you only have a little bit of mercy, then you're only going to enjoy the mercy you have of God a little bit. Does that make sense? The more mercy grows in you, the more you appreciate and enjoy the mercy of God over you. We say we want to, you know, enjoying the gospel of Jesus Christ in our in our statement up there. And that idea of enjoying it comes with being at peace with God and really appreciating it and being excited about it and enjoying it and saying, God, Your mercy is so overwhelming. My goodness, it's new every morning. And and you realize, yeah, that's what Scripture says. It's new every morning. It has to be. (laughs) Because I need it fresh every day. As the reality is, I start to appreciate that and start to share it. That grows. And this word here of, of uh, will receive mercy, it, the idea to receive is not only to, to receive it in a sense this way, but it is to obtain mercy, meaning to get more of it. And I thought, oh, I get more mercy? No. I, what I get is the understanding of it. It grows. And I seek it more. And, and as a result, I see more of His mercy as a result, I appreciate it more. And in a sense, I have obtained more. I actually have received more. Not because He has given me more, but because I see it for the first time. I can see His mercy. And the longer I walk with Christ, the more I see His mercy before I was ever a Christian in my life. I just am blown away constantly at His mercy and His grace. So if you do show God's mercy, 
the gain, the receiving, the obtaining is a growth in appreciation as much as anything. I don't have much time left for, for a lot of details of this, but in Micah 6.8, you have uh, one of the... the I, I love the fact, you know, this morning we were singing some Scripture songs and I read... And, and this is one of uh, the old scripture songs coming out of the 60s and 70s and, and goes back further than that because it was sung here too. Um, but Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Uh, he has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness, actually to love mercy, literally, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And, and that seemed to me a good summary of what we were looking at in the sense of, of this idea of mercy. It's more than to just see it. It's more than just to appreciate it. It is to love mercy. To love God's mercy that He's given to me, to rejoice in His love as He's given it to me. To love to give mercy is the idea here. To do justly is to put things into the right order the way God would have them be. This was a time, in fact, uh, Micah talks about it further down in chapter 6, about you know the guys at the markets had the scales set up so that they were rigged uh, to their favor. So as they sold you something, it's like, uh, and I, I'm, I'm talking to only people older that will understand this one or remember this one, because my grandmother, I can actually remember catching the butcher doing it, was putting his thumb on the scale while he was weighing something. And, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of, you know, what he was talking about. They had weights that were not actually the right weights. So if you brought your money and it weighed out, their weights were, were, were lighter so that you had to put more money in. Even though they said this is a $10 weight, so to speak, it was, it was, it was uh, you know, uh, really a, a, you know, a $15 weight. So you had to you know, keep putting more money in, more money until you got it set. That, that was one of the things that they were doing. So, uh, Mike, Micah was referring to this 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 issue of of to love, you know, to to do what is well. He put it this way: What does the Lord require of you? By the way, the word "require" here doesn't it's not suggestion; it means demand. Okay, what the Lord demands of you to do justice, to do what you know is right to do. How do you know what is right to do? Because you've hungered and thirsted after the Word of God and it's starting to infuse you and you see what's right. It's not because the law says it's right or the law of the land says it's right. It's because the Word of God says it's right. And, and to, to put things in right order. And to love mercy. To love mercy. Not just do mercy, but to love it. It becomes a part of who you are. Do you believe God loves to do mercy for us? Do you believe that Jesus loves doing mercy for us? That He loved doing mercy for us? Going to the cross? That He actually loved doing it? Somebody would say, well, He didn't love the, the suffering of the cross. Not in the sense that we would look at it, but he, he loved doing it for us. Do we love doing it for others? Do we love extending mercy? And then He said to walk humbly with your God. And I looked at this idea of walking humbly as, as, as the idea of the same direction God's going, with the same pace that God wants us to go, with the same destination God wants us to arrive at. That's our goal. To walk with Him at, 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 in a sense of, of direction. I tend to walk kind of listening towards the world, kind of seeing if I'm missing anything. And He would rather have me walking more direct this way. And, and I need to pray about that uh, constantly. And, and the other you know, thought would be uh, not only that, but you know, the other thing I tend to do is drag my feet. You know, I'm not anxious to sometimes move ahead where he's going because I can't see five steps ahead. I can only see him two steps ahead. It makes me a little nervous. But the times where I have jumped and responded when I couldn't see ahead, I have found him there ahead of me anyway. And it's an amazing time of, 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 of joy. Walking at His pace, and then with the goal, that I'm, 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 the destination, He has set the destination, and, and that destination is, uh, is a new heaven, new earth, eternal life. There was so much more to 
to share out of Micah here, and and, and uh, uh, I'm not I don't have really the, the time to do it. I realize now it's a whole other sermon, but uh, I will share with this this uh, going back to. Ray Pritchard in, in a, a list that he put together. One person's, I, I just put up one person's list of how to show mercy. First off, to forgive. To become a forgiving heart. How many times must I forgive, Peter said? <laughs> seven times seventy. To develop a forgiving heart. And again, to love doing it. You know, it's kind of like when your kids or you're disciplining your kids. Okay, say you're sorry. Sorry. You know, it's you know, creating a joy in the sense of, of offering forgiveness and receiving forgiveness even. To develop compassion towards believers and their needs as well as believers, uh, unbelievers. And I got really hit between the eyes with this one, because just as I was uh, had had been going over this, and then I, I took a little break, and and uh, I walked into the living room, and immediately, TV can make you very angry very quick sometimes. Um, most of you are familiar with because uh, you can't have watched any news and for that matter, even some sporting events without being hit with it, Bruce Jenner. And I have to just say, you know, the fact that he he got a sports award for courage, really, it caused me to turn the program off. I wanted to see who got all these awards in the sport, but I I turned the program off because I didn't want to hear that it was coming even, that he was going to talk. And I really got angry. And when I walked in to the, the, the front room, my son had been there and he'd left it on the sports channel. And they were reviewing this. And there, there was this, I, I guess you wanted, the world wants me to say woman. Uh, but there was Bruce Jenner at the microphone and 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 talking, and then there was a and, and I guess he was just finishing because there was a standing ovation. I thought if I was in that crowd and I didn't stand up, everybody would look at me and call me a bigot and everything else that you could think of. But I and I, and, I, and I'm not kidding you. I went over to the couch just to I was going to sit down because everybody was standing just in my own mental thing. And that's when I got kind of hit between the eyes. Do I have compassion for Bruce Jenner? He's not saved. Somebody says, how do you know he's not saved? (laughs) Pretty sure. I don't have to like what he's done. I don't have to listen to his speeches. I don't have to to honor his, you know, like everybody else is doing. But I still believe the idea of compassion that he needs salvation. Where's the mercy, Bob? You're going to preach on it tomorrow. Where's the mercy, Bob? I just want to suggest to you that, that the things that make you angry, that grieve your spirit, that upset you uh, in that kind of context, at least put them on the table and examine them and see why so that you can separate out and recognize there's still an unsaved soul. That, that Am I surprised that an unsaved person has not act saved? <laughs> No, I, I, I would be surprised if they did something good, you know, in a sense. So I, it should be no shock to me that, that an unsaved person is doing unsaved things. And to have passion, have compassion. Another thing of, uh, on a person, you know, when we're showing mercy, actually is tied even to our giving. I'm very cautious when I talk about giving because I do not want to you know, uh, get to that point where I'm, I'm the person telling you what it is to be a Christian and, and how much to give and all of that kind of stuff. But I will tell you that the idea of giving needs to be something that becomes something you do cheerfully, at least is what, what Paul says, willingly 
to love to be able to be provided for in such a way God has provided for you that you can share part of it and to appreciate and enjoy and love doing it. That's what God wants us to come into. By the way, I, I, I've heard it preached, and, and, and unfortunately, very early on, I bought into it as myself, was if you don't enjoy giving, if you can't do it with a smile, don't do it. Now, I'm not saying that that's wrong because I'm, a, I'm getting my support from your giving. <laughs> but I am saying it's, it's wrong in the sense that sometimes we do certain things out of obedience so that they will become a way of thinking. God will change our thinking as we do them out of obedience. Yeah. So don't, don't misunderstand some of that. But the idea of having a growing compassion, a growing desire to give. But the real giving here is tied to the mercy in the sense of action. Not just your money, but your time. Praying. Praising. All of these are, 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 are actions of our mercy to praise God for what He's done and the mercy He has shown. But one of them that I had never put into this category. Speaking the Word of God to others is showing mercy either to encourage and build up or to share for the purposes of, of, of planting a seed of salvation. Psalm 107, verse 2. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And I'm going to say it the way it was meant to be said now. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Amen. Let it be done. First Peter says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. He has taken you where there was no evidence of mercy and He has shown you mercy and given you grace. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Lamentation 3.22 The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O Lord. I ask the ushers to come forward for sharing communion this morning. I ask that you are served to hold the emblems until you have all been served and we will share together.